Thank you to anyone that's watching this live on Facebook or LinkedIn. Very exciting to join you on these Wednesdays when we bring an expert to you, someone that we have got to know very, very well. And we are going to be bringing a really important subject to you. Two things around well-being. One is how do you understand your motivation and where your motivation is? And also, how do you manage your well-being? And you might be thinking of yourself here, or you might actually be thinking about the organisation that you work within, and how can you bring these things and create strategies and policies and, and implement this inside your organisation? So these are really important subjects. And Jane Thomas is the CEO of Premier Life Skills, and um, she's brought her one of the gentlemen, Fraser, who works with her and is a practitioner and goes into organisations. And Fiona McIntosh, who's up in the Highlands of Scotland, who is a, a practitioner of the motivational mapping and also has a diploma in uh, mental health and well-being, which she earned through qualifying within the Premier Life Skills Organisation. So we're going to have a, a great conversation. Now, before I go forward, I wanted to give a little bit of context to anybody who Thomas and I might be strangers to. Um, you see this is the BIP chat. BIP stands for Business is Personal, which is a book that I actually published in 2019, very much aligned with what Jane believes in, is really how are we looking after our mental and emotional well-being? And I wrote that from the context of the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur. And as a result of that, Thomas and I, having created Academy back in 1998, which was the world's first social network for business owners, we started in 2020 a community again called BIP 100. And the 100 means that we will never exceed 100 members. We found that that is the optimum number of people where you can create a really close community where Thomas and I can get intimate and know them very well and add value, but also where they can do that with one another. So we do this podcast twice a month and we are very motivated to do it because not only is it hard to find clients for many of you out there, it's also hard to find amazing suppliers. We can spend our, a lot of, a disproportionate amount of our time trying to find people that we can trust and believe in. And by bringing our members to you, we feel that we've cut out some of that time for you. So we want you to get to know Jane Thomas and you can find her on LinkedIn, um, Premier Life Skills. And we hope you enjoy this show. So uh, this is going to be a good old chat between the five of us today about this subject of motivation and well-being. So, Jane, can you start off by giving a little bit more context on your quite phenomenal career and when you started Premier Life Skills? Thank you, Penny. Um, I just have to say that, unfortunately, I've got a bit of a voice problem at the moment, so I don't normally sound like this, but um, we'll get through it. It won't be a problem. So, um, yeah, I um, started my uh, training as a nurse at Southampton University Hospital and then um, popped them to Poole Hospital in Dorset, where I worked in a very large intensive coronary care unit. Um, and I guess um, I, I very much thrived on working in that environment, which was very busy, um, not, not knowing what was going to come through the door, etc., and getting a team together to work effectively. So I think for me that that team working was always something that was, you know, really important. Then went into the coronary care side of things and um, a little bit more sort of clinical studies and then eventually uh, set up cardiac rehabilitation at Poole Hospital with a colleague. Um, again, very much about educating people who had um, had uh, had a cardiac event, um, which 
very rewarding in itself. But I guess for me, I was starting to think about what happens before all of that. Um, you know, how does somebody become physically un unwell? Um, and unfortunately, in that in that sort of context of, of me working in that particular environment, I was probably never going to be, be able to get to those sort of stages of finding out, you know, that information if I didn't start to expand and look at um, you know other other opportunities and I guess that's where I started becoming very much involved in the training in the organization and I realized that you know that was really something that motivated me we'll talk a little bit more about that in in a moment so you know something that drove me that really inspired me and I wanted to to work with people to make sure that they were well and healthy at you know at work and I think for me you know well-being is it isn't just about a well-being workshop it's also when you're working in big organizations it's very much looking at you know leadership styles it's looking at performance management absence management a whole host of things that uh, need to be doing so in 2006 i started premier life skills and premier life skills we, we've got a couple of arms to the business so we run an accredited level five diploma in mental health and well-being awareness. So uh, that means that we are an accredited centre um, and are monitored as a centre for the information that we obviously uh, look at for delegates. Um, and then uh, we will go into businesses. So these can be public sector, private sector, large corporates, uh, and we'll run training sessions for managers, for staff, we look at sort of resilience and well-being and mental health um, and actually quite interesting very recently looking at things like the menopause and how that has a big impact on on mental health um, and then we've got I guess the thread that is is currently very much running through all of the arms of the business is something called motivational mapping so for me I've used lots of different psychometrics especially when I did sort of team building and team training um, but I was really looking for a tool that very much linked into well-being um, and, and trying to think about you know what what sort of happens when uh, somebody is unwell and what happens to their motivation um, so I can talk a little bit more about all of that you know as we sort of go on through this session today um, and then we just have a last another part of the course which is called train the trainer which is a practical training certificate and i have trainers uh margaret rose um who might be listening to this and i would hate to leave her out of it who um, is a fantastic trainer and actually runs those those particular courses uh courses for me gosh it's incredible absolutely incredible and and such a powerful thing for organizations now who are seeing this heightened challenges around their well-being um, and motivation and attendance and always quiet quitting and all these problems that are hitting the productivity and efficiencies of organizations and hitting the staff who are feeling disconnected and having all sorts of issues so this is going to be a brilliant brilliant show for people to listen to so you've brought two guests with you which i'm very excited about to be on the sofa our virtual sofa with us got to imagine this is like graham norton now we've got five of us on a sofa we haven't got glasses of wine in front of us but we're here together. So please, can you start introducing me to Fraser? Hello. <clears throat> it is a pleasure to be invited to such a, a, an amazing event. And uh, I have learned a lot about BIP 100 from Jane. And uh, as I said, I'm really excited to take part and to, to show you all what Premier Life Skills hopefully has to offer as a company as well on top of that. So providing a little bit of information about myself, I've worked with Premier Life Skills now roughly for about six years, I would say, and that was 
been a really, really fulfilling experience. Um, before my time with Premier Life Skills, I studied at university, sociology and criminology. But unfortunately, afterwards, I was sort of left quite limited in my options of where I wanted to go afterwards. And um, I went into a temporary role with uh, an, an organisation, which unfortunately, I really was not motivated by uh, what they wanted me in that role. And I actually found myself developing quite quite bad mental illness from that job. And I realized the importance of what it actually takes to be motivated inside of a role. And I realized that that wasn't for me at the end of the day and I needed to make a change. And fortunately after that, a role came to work actually as a ski instructor in Austria. And as an instructor, it was a fascinating experience to actually see how people would be driven and motivated and change that motivation throughout the week with some people who really lacked self-belief at the beginning of the week and really having that urge for me as that instructor to try and build that confidence throughout and seeing that development actually in progression throughout that time not only in their ability to ski but actually in that development mentally too and I really wanted to take that into the workplace as well at the same time so with that, I, I luckily had Premier Life Skills as an opportunity afterwards. And I found very, very similar with that, with what Jane is offering with motivational maps and actually facilitating training sessions as well, which offer looking at resilience into people's well-being and improving things like mindfulness as well and their awareness around it at the same time too. So overall, it's been such an amazing time, to be honest, these six years working with her and such a pleasure and meeting such amazing people along the way too so as I said thank you again for inviting me and I said really really oh, it's wonderful. lovely lovely love it love it and I think you know we're great we're going to show us I know we can't name people but some of these case studies around the issues that are creating issues around their resilience and their well-being so <laughs> and then Fiona McIntosh so you're based up in the Highlands um, Scotland you've got some sheep which is very You have exciting. to tell people where you are, Fiona, because that is remote. Um, yeah. So I'm in Caithness, which is on the very north coast, basically just along the road from John O'Groats. Um, oh. oh, right up there. Yes. Well, we really will. We were just sharing that Thomas and I are doing the, um, what's it called, the north coast, the NC500 in the summer yeah. in a motorhome. So we really will be going past you, I think, because we've definitely got a stop. <laughs> Um, so absolute pleasure to have you here. So Fiona, do you want to give a little bit of context to your life, your life up there and how come you got involved with this well-being subject? Absolutely. Um, so I met Jane many years ago now when my son is severely disabled and we have a team of carers that work with him. And we were having just a few issues. Um, there was little rubs within the team. At the time, I was working full time for the Uni University of the Highlands and Islands as a lecturer. So I was never there um, to actually manage what was going on. Um, and we brought Jane in to do some work with the team and she did motivational maps. Um, and I was completely and utterly blown away by what the maps delivered for us not just in terms of the team and what motivated all the individuals in the team, but also for myself and why I did things that I did as well. Um, so that was how <laughs> I first got involved with Jane. Um, and then slightly further along the road, my son became very ill and we spent a long time in hospital with him. 
Um, and at that point, uh, Jane actually had a conversation with me. I remember it very clearly. Um, I was trying to manage students from his hospital bed, basically, um, and was, you know, doing having materials online for them and doing marking and all the rest of it. And um, Jane sort of tapped into my drivers and why it was I was doing this. And it was the moment that made me go, actually, this is ridiculous. I need to, to stop this. Um, and that was when I handed in my notice at the, the university. Further down the road then, Ian actually got better, which was an unexpected but very welcome break. Um, and then I found myself needing something. I was missing that uh, doing something for other people, making a difference. So that was when I started my own company and then I did the level five diploma in mental health and wellbeing. Um, and yeah, that was basically, J Jane is the cause of it all. <laughs> it is. Well, how fantastic. That's a brilliant, brilliant story. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm watched, we, I said we were watching Highland Cops on telly last night, seeing the police up in the Highlands and how, you know, it, it, it's a very sparsely populated area. And um, they were actually talking about the number of mental health issues and drug problems and things up there. So I don't know whether in this show we'll touch on any of the sort of case studies that you've you've witnessed. But, um, yeah, no one is immune to this subject, even if you live no. in the beautiful regions, aren't they? They so, actually um, said on that show last night that the number of mental health related issues had gone had gone up astronomically during the last actually since COVID, since yeah. last three years. So something's happening. Yeah, yeah I'd like yeah. us to really touch on that now I'm going to start off by talking about motivational drivers with you because for anybody listening as they're walking their dogs or in the car or maybe live with us now you know motivation is really the core of life isn't it if we don't feel motiv motivated to drag ourselves through our jobs and our tasks in our day really really hard and obviously there's going to be an economic impact not only on ourselves but on the organizations we we might be serving um, and, and I was reading, Jane, if I come to you, that, you know, somebody who's feeling dissatisfied, demotivated, low self-esteem, um, this very much comes down to their drivers. And I wondered if you could give us a little bit more around that subject and help us to, to, to build on that. Absolutely. Um, I think linking into uh, to what Thomas about the statistics um, the World Health Organization has said that um, post-COVID um, anxiety and depression worldwide has ridden, risen by 25 percent um, so you know the, the the impact of that is is huge um, and and I could probably do another another you know sort of uh, session on, on all of that and all of those sorts of figures as well but we know that within uh, obviously, you know, sort of pre-COVID, post-COVID, it's so important to know what actually motivates you and know what actually drives you. Um, and one of the reasons for if you don't know, then you're often sort of in this quandary of 
of not knowing where where you want to be, what you want to do, where you want to go, um, and and therefore um, it's important that that people um, align themselves with where they are at at this time, um, and and our, our motivators change, and I think that's important to remember. So so it it's a motivational mapping is not a psychometric profile which can be quite static. This is actually linking into where is our energy flowing now. And is our energy flowing in the right direction and um, aligning itself with what we need and what we require as a driver? Or is our energy off sync with that? And because of that, then is a high probability that it starts to affect their welfare and their well-being. So both Fraser and, and Fiona will be very aware that um, one of the things that uh, you measure with, with, with motivation is is how motivated is somebody um, and the motivational maps tool actually does that and certainly the three of us are very aware that when somebody's motivation is very low it means that their drivers are not met um, and therefore that can then have a huge impact on you know on their on their welfare and, and we're not just talking we can be looking at physical health here we can be looking at mental health um, you know the both of them I don't think you can isolate them I think you've got to talk about them you know together Wow, that's amazing. So, sorry, Thomas. Jane, you mentioned energy there and motivation and, and drivers and then the effects on welfare, be it mental or physical. When you, when you implement motivational maps and mapping, and obviously Penny and I have both been through this process with you, is, are motivational maps effectively assessing your energy state? Well, they're assessing what your energy is lined is is actually being satisfied so that's, right. that's what they're actually looking at so the maps themselves will look at the within motivational maps there are nine there are nine motivators um and and basically these um what these motivators it's a motivation maps is a self um uh, perception inventory um, as you know as you say you completed it yourself and it's based within sort of what we call three cluster groups so you've got motivation through relationships motivation through your own achievements and motivation through your individual growth um, and um, and there's been over sort of 70 I think we're now on up to about 78,000 maps that have been done worldwide but once once you found then what actually out of these nine motivators, what actually motivates you? We're then looking at a score out of 40 as to how strong that driver is for you. So obviously, um, if that's a very strong driver, then that's going to, again, you'll need that to get that energy. Um, sometimes people have got um, quite a few motivators that are very much batched together and they've only got a couple of points um, between them. And that might mean then that an individual needs sort of three or four motivators equally to actually get that, that particular energy. Once the algorithm has worked out those numbers, the last set of questions that, that the person um, whether or not they currently feel that those motivators are being satisfied for them. And of course, if they're not being satisfied, either a coach, Fiona does a, a lot of coaching, um, uh, will with, with individuals, you know, a coach um, or Fraser and I might use it within our training session, will then look at the why. I guess the big word here is the why. Why is it not being satisfied? And what now needs to happen to enable that, that satisfaction? And that would then link to um, uh, certainly the, the map, it, it, the, the measurement of your, 
you call your, your overall uh, motivation achievement score is based on your top three motivators. Um, so those then give you a measurement out of 100%. And this is where, as I say, Fraser and, and Fiona be, will be very familiar that when we see somebody um, who has got a very low motivational score, um, then you are often linking this into things like anxiety and, and depression. Right. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? I love hearing you talk about this, Jane. It's, it's quite phenomenal. Can I just, what was it, was the catalyst point where you thought, I've got to create this? Because as you said, you were using psychometric tools and all these different tools for team building. What was it that happened? And then I would love to come on to Fraser and Fiona and get a sense of this in, this in practice when they're working with clients. So I didn't create it. I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, it's a guy called James Sale. Um, so James Sale created Motivational Maps, and um, he has actually written, um, we've got, how many have we got here, one, two, three, four, five books, um, I'm actually a co-author with him on one of, one of those books, uh, Mapping Motivation for Leadership, um, and basically uh, he, he was a school teacher, and so his driver was very much about what he was seeing with, um, with, with the youth, and in fact there is a youth map as well. So, um, so that can be used re realistically with um, with sort of teenagers around about the age of twelve up to the age of sort of um, eighteen. Um, we can we can use the youth maps, and then from that he was then looking at the sort of adult adult maps, um, and that's who who actually he actually created motivational maps. And when did you first start to get involved with this? Because you were doing your well-being work and your leadership yeah, work. Yeah, so. so um, 2013, I trained as a licensed practitioner. Um, and as I said earlier, Penny, I was sort of looking for something that I could use as a tool which would support when somebody's welfare or well wasn't actually being aligned with their energies. And I, I couldn't find anything within sort of the psychometric sort of setup. And that's when um, I looked then obviously at, uh, at using motivational maps. Uh, and they have been extremely useful because, as, as we've just said, if you're not motivated, um, Fraser gave a great example where, you know, um, he wasn't motivated after he left university in the role he was in um, and what would potentially could have happened if he had stayed in that role. Now, obviously, as we know in business, an awful lot of people will stay in that role and not make that decision to do something about it. And so their motivation just slides down further and further and further. And then, of course, it doesn't just affect the work environment. It affects their home life. It affects relationships. You know, it just starts to just spread out, you know, so, so very quickly. So that's yeah, I, I now get it. I'm really getting it now. So, Fraser, when you're working in with clients, I don't know whether you could get, you know, so say somebody did you're working. I presume you go in and it's a leader of a business that's asked you to come in. Is that am I right in that assumption? Absolutely. And what's what's motivating them to get you involved in the organization? What are the sort of things that they're they're concerned about? Well, it will be things like as we said, their motivation and their well-being all together and potentially the cohesion of their staff. It will be, as Jane said before, things like absenteeism at the same time too. Why aren't people going into work? 
why not for extended periods as well at the end of the day? And I think what the maps addresses so well at the same time too, Jane addressed it on an individual level, being able to analyze those drivers of a team, but on an organizational level on top of that, there's also an offering of team maps too, which actually combines the motivational maps of all of those working in a group together. And then you can actually analyze what's working, what drivers are actually suiting those employees. And is there actually any clashes as well at the end of the day too? So it's such a powerful tool that we can use to really start a massive conversation to get them to open up about actually what is the root of this at the end of the day that they really need to drive them to. And can I nip in there? And, and Fraser, when you, when you find or you identify someone in the team is uh, cause, creating a lot of absenteeism or clashing or, mm -hmm. as Jane said, you can spot the anxiety or depression, how do you delicately take that back to the leader and say there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with you? How, right. do, you, how do you handle that politically sensitively without <laughs> causing it all to kick off? A tiny bit of thought definitely not thinking on impulse to say the least as well <laughs> sometimes but it's 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 really trying to promote the cohesion the best you can between an organization and with a manager if if you can't help that manager try and actually get that drive and that motivation out of that person then ultimately the map gets you really what you need to know at the end of the day and you can see that they're not driven in that way and the map just ultimately reflects what they're, they're seeing in real life anyways. And ultimately, you can then identify that over time, set up a plan for what you can actually do to try and improve that motivation. And then even potentially come back six months, complete another map down the line, see whether there's been those changes. And if there has, brilliant, it's done its job. If there hasn't, then there does need to be some conversations on that managerial level of, of what really does need to be done because it's ultimately about the organization at the end of the day. Mm, very wow. powerful. And I imagine, so if a leader, say a CEO of an organization asked you to come in and they've got all the line managers or senior managers, it's almost like an audit on their leadership yeah. skills yeah. to Can a certain be. extent. Isn't absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, Fraser, Fraser will often, Fraser will, we, we also go into businesses and we run um, employee um, wellbeing risk assessments. So Fraser will actually come um, in with me to often run, run, do, they'll have done, they may well have done um, a different questionnaire from the health and safety executive, looking at what they, we call the six management standards. Um, and and they, we know from the, the research that has been done by the academics that um, there are six management standards for demand, control, relationship, support, change and role. And of course, if they're not being met as well, then we what's great then is that using something like motivational maps is a great solution that sort of brings it brings it all together. Um, and, and Fraser and I will facilitate um, the conversations with employees and employers and senior management, present the information back, but rather than presenting it in a blame uh, sort of culture or a blame yeah. way, very much about, right, how do we get the manager to be engaging with, with the staff? Um, and what's the actions that need to come out of that? And often then, isn't it, Fraser, what comes out of that is we end up then actually looking at um, you know that team and working with that team using the maps as a tool to enable us to, to look at the direction that we need to go and it's almost um, I want to come to you in a minute Fiona on this but it must become a language as well there must be 
terminology and language within this that the company can start to adopt? Is, is, do you find that, um, Fraser, that you, you start to hear them reflecting back and using a language that you're using to try and identify, yeah, that's, that's a real power of something like this. So Fiona, um, so here you are up in the Highlands um, and uh, you know, all I can see are, are beautiful deer and, and things up there, but you're obviously, you're in, a, in near John O'Groats. Um, give us a feel for how you apply this and these two things, this qualification you've got and also the motivational mapping. Yeah, so I started with the, the motivational mapping and at that point um, it was predominantly personal coaching that I was doing. Um, so working with individuals, you know, they maybe they don't know what the issue is, but they know they're stuck. They're just looking for something else. And the maps has been a great tool to open conversation about the things that really drive them and whether they're actually currently being met for that individual or not. So quite often it might be um, that somebody's actually in a role that they're just not suited to, it's just not right for them, or their, their priorities have changed and they're just stuck in this role because that's what's been expected of them, you know, that's where they started. Um, so it's opening their eyes to actually maybe there's something else out there um, and you know I'm thinking of one chap in particular who um, I'll call him Fred for the purposes of this um, and he came to me he was in a he was stuck um, it was very clear when I looked at his map that there was most definitely a, a work related issue and when we met, he didn't want to talk about his work. As far as he was concerned, work wasn't the issue. He wasn't given change in his job because um, he was in a pension trap, too well paid and all the rest of it. And when we actually started going through the map, he realized that the company didn't align with his values at all. And that's one of the things with the maps Under, underneath the driver is our values. Um, so the company that he was working with really didn't align with the values. He was trying to do right by an apprentice, but it was getting knocked back at every turn. And um, despite saying he couldn't possibly ever leave this job, he did. Um, wow. So, yeah, yeah. That's very, very, very. Hmm. Gosh, so you must have been super empowering for him to have the courage yeah. to create change. Yeah, uh, it, it was, yeah, it was really good. And I have to say, after our first meeting, I came away from the session actually going, oh, I didn't do a very good job there because he was still heels in the ground. I am not leaving this job. Um, but he contacted me a week later and said, you'll never guess what, I've applied for three other jobs. Um, so yeah, that was a, a really great feeling, definitely. How did you handle that with the, because presumably the employer brought you in? No, no, no he, 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 he contacted me for personal coaching. Oh, okay. Okay. So, oh, well, that's, so you're experts at helping people choose the right careers then and getting out of the ones they shouldn't be in. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they can be used, the maps can be used very much for that. Um, I think we've all had experience uh, yeah. of that. Well, I mean, you, you've got a wonderful story yourself, haven't you, Fiona, where, again, that map helped you to think about where you wanted to go with your, with your career. Yeah, and I guess for me, the situation, I was, as I say, I was working in the University of Highlands and Islands, 
Um, and my drivers at that time were very much about making a difference, meaning purpose, um, knowledge, specialism, um, and um, you know, being being creative. And I was so driven by that at the time that I couldn't see that actually I was missing out on what was going on at home with my son. Um, so whilst those drivers were really important for me, it was actually my lower drivers that actually were the turning point for me and recognizing that actually I needed I needed to, to make some changes. Um, and then when Ian, when Ian became better, um, again, that searcher driver, that, that needing to make a difference, that was what inspired me to, to start coaching. So this is, this is really a, a personal analysis, lifestyle and career tool, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that it's predominantly work-based, work but it definitely has, you know, you, you can't separate the two. Um, you know, they both go together, particularly when we're talking about well-being, I think. Absolutely. And what, what seems to be really powerful here about Premier Life Skills, if you've got the combination of the well-being, understanding the resilience, all the issues that we have, stress and anxiety and resilience, alongside understanding somebody's drivers and values, as Fiona said, and the, it seems like those, those should always be accompanying one another. Um, and, and so... Once you, coming back to you, Fraser, once you identify um, somebody's drivers aren't right and it is making them demotivated, are you then discovering beneath that some of the other challenges? So if they are lacking resilience or if they have got problems at home and relationships or if they have got um, other anxieties or whatever, what, what can you then do in the organisation around that? Well, the, the ultimate thing is to get people to first be aware and, and actually hopefully be willing to talk about those experiences in the first place. So if you can create an environment that people feel willing to share those types of experience and then people can get that support down the line, then that can be ultimately extremely powerful. But I'm not neglecting from the fact that with illness, with anxiety, with depression, there is a spectrum at the end of the day. And each person's case is going to be different. So some people might need that change in situation like I needed at the time. Other people might actually need to go and see someone like a therapist and a doctor to get that support, maybe medication down the line, maybe even therapy, whatever suits them for themselves. And it's just letting them know it's okay to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's why hopefully going back to your point earlier about seeing this mental health in the Highlands, Absolutely. What's going on in the world is, is extremely stressful. There's a lot of pressures that's going on. But on the flip side, I also think there's a lot more awareness to mental health, to depression, to anxiety. And now people are actually sharing those experiences and especially being in a predicament like the pandemic previously and such an immense challenge has made people actually go, I, I need to try and do something about this at the end of the day. So hopefully, despite those numbers, there needs to be things done about it. That's the powerful thing at the end of it all. So it is giving them support, but it's letting them know that at the end of the day, it's all right not to be all right. Yeah. Nice. And anxiety and depression isn't always clinical, is it? I think a lot of people think it's clinical and they therefore need medicine. Yeah. But, you know, just talking things through, having awareness, just having a, a leader in your organisation that's willing to hear 
and make you feel significant around the fact that you do have an issue at home. And whilst you don't want to bring it to work, it, it does exist and it is going to impact you. So it sounds like these um, conversations are very empowering for people um, and sort of gives them a language, but also the courage to to make make a change to their lives, which um, it's got to be good for an organization because I think what we are hearing a lot of is that people are just dissatisfied and they're just this quiet quitting issue. Um, yeah. You know, I had a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago. She was on maternity leave and she was talking about the fact she's got to go back to work, but she wants to work from home. And she was responsible for 30 staff. And she said, they all work from home and I want to work from home now. I've got this new baby. And I said, and are your staff productive? And she said, oh, since COVID, 50% of them are really quite still productive. 50% of them are exploiting this and they're an absolute nightmare. And um, they're not at all productive. And I was thinking the impact on the organisation of, of that must be enormous. Um, so it is a different type of leadership when you've got a hybrid working workforce, hasn't it? Have you, have you come across that challenge, um, Fraser? That's that's the really tricky thing. And you said when, when you're looking at that productivity, that is the ultimate most important thing in an organization. You need your staff yeah. to be productive, but you also need to look at why aren't they being productive and what's yes. impacting that at the end of the day. Could it be lack of sleep? Could it be a lack of exercise? Could it be the work-life balance at the end of the day that's going into it? And what strategies can be offered to try and improve that the best that we ultimately can at the end of the day. Because when we look at those things, productivity will increase. People will want to go into the workplace and they'll actually feel like they, they're getting something out of that workplace environment as well at the end of the day. So if we can create that, we can create such a more beneficial environment from the bottom all the way up to the top of the organization as well at the end of it all too. But said, it's nice to have the, the idealist situation at the end of the day, having that being there but it's, it's a long road, ultimately, and it's not going to be an overnight process. What we try and provide, don't we, Fraser, and I know Fiona, you know, is very much the same, is that when, when we go into organisations, we, we, we tend to use um, a workbook, or uh, Fraser actually does um, online training for one of our European um uh, actual uh, clients um, but we, we we have something I think it's so important to have something that they can take away something that they can look at something that they can go back to something that can reaffirm where they where they might be so if we if we look at one of our resilience and well-being courses um, you know we talk about resilience but we also um, give them a, a questionnaire that they can they can complete um, we, we look at how how we support people manage that work change environment and as you say that's changed a lot because of the hybrid working um, and, and and also what people have gone through with um, with with covid long covid illnesses you know a whole host of things that, that, that come into that we talk about stress and the stress response I think it's really important that that people understand you know what happens when they go into the fight and flight response what happens to their their behavior what happens to their their emotions the way they think what happens to their physical uh you know body when when they're in that that particular um you know sort of situation um and we and then we sort of bring it together with things like positive psychology 
Um, we, we use Martin Seligman's PERMA model, um, which, which again is, is, is important for, for people to think about, you know, what it, again, what's their purpose? Um, you know, what gives them flow? You'll know a lot about that, Penny, with, with um, Hannah, Penny and Thomas and the Hannah flow. Um, so I've loved those sorts of sessions because it's been great listening, at, you know, as to how you can expand on, on, on all, all of that. Um, then we look at motivation, obviously, you know, and then we'll look at things like emotional intelligence and gratitude. And a big thing we look at as well is things like unhelpful thinking styles. So have we gotten into a habit of thinking in a certain way? Um, so one of them could be things like catastrophizing, you know, and you've done that for many, many years. So, you know, when you haven't got, say, um, some milk in the morning to put in your cereal, you know, it's an absolute nightmare. It's a disaster, you know. And so they, they start in this very sort of negative sort of thinking way. So we show them tools around all of that. And then, as Fraser was saying, we cover all the what I would call the baseline, you know, the, 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 the Maslow sort of hierarchy of needs, the base of that, which is how, how are their sleep patterns? What are they eating? What are they drinking? Um, you know, how are are they exercising and, and just bringing all that together for them to create their own action plan at the, you know, at the end of that session um, and encouraging conversations. We, you know, we do a lot of group activities. Um, it's, it's a little bit more difficult online because obviously you can't hear what they're saying in the breakout rooms, but certainly when Fraser and I are facilitating face-to-face -face sessions, you know, you start seeing people talk, don't you, Fraser? You know, and they, if you create an environment where people feel comfortable to talk, they will start to speak about, you know, the way that they are that they are thinking and I guess be more engaging in what they can do about it um, and, and what they are going to do and, and linking into the organization Thomas as you were saying you know we very much believe that you know it's great if an organization brings us in to run these courses but I do also believe that the employee has got responsibility as well you know so I think we, we're very much trying to make sure that you know this is what your organization is doing but what are you going to do to take responsibility, you know, to manage your, you know, your well-being? I like that, Joan. I like the fact you do both or give people the choice to consider both because it's not just about the firm. It is about you and your life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. About taking some responsibility um, mm -hmm. for yourself. Not Yeah. I mean, when I think back, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about, you know, I first became a leader sort of mid 80s and, and ended up having... Well, I was a senior leader in a company of about 450 staff and um, I didn't have to think about two things that we have to think about now. One was people's digital competency because we didn't have digital. Life was very simple. And I didn't have to think about well-being. Those two things as, as a leader, my majority of my time was focused on understanding the business, obviously caring for my staff in the way that I would want to scare and reward them and things and making sure I brought clients in and you know life seemed pretty simple and so I do sort of reach out to all leaders now who can be demonized can't they but you know the leader is crazy you know needs to sort this problems out it's a big challenge isn't it all these things and I'm wondering is it why are we all suffering like this is it the advent of digital do you think what is it that is it or is it that we've got increased awareness and we're just not putting up with stuff what is it do you think i just around robin an opinion on that what is causing us to have to as leaders really consider all these things more start with you fraser what do you think i, I mean you don't know the first on that one i wanted to be polite all right, right. Jay. <laughs> 
It's quite fascinating, actually, um, Penny. Um, I was actually doing some uh, a training session for one of our BIP uh, members yesterday with her team, um, and we were talking about this. And they they go in and um, to to organisation, they do these sort of ergonomic sort of testing, and they find that you know whilst they're doing that. They find that people are talking to them about their their mental health and and, and well being, and I and one of the questions I ask them is, you know, what what does well being mean to them, and what should well being mean to an organisation? Because I do strongly believe that ethically and morally, we do have a well, we have a duty of care, you know, legally a duty of care to to look after the welfare of staff. But I think, as you said, Penny, that can be very frightening as a man as a manager. Um, because, um, you know, sometimes uh, an illness or a mental illness in the workplace can link into performance issues. Um, and and which, which bit do they then look at? Do they manage performance? Do they support the individual? So again, one of the things that we will do is we, we work, we go in and we actually run sessions for managers. So helping them to understand the early warning signs um, and again, this is what we were looking at yesterday. Um, and we're not trying to make them diagnosticians because that's not their role. We're not trying to make them counsellors because that's not their role. All right, it's signposting and these sorts of things. But I think it's having those initial conversations. Um, it's, you know, how do you start a conversation with somebody who's distressed? Um, you know, how, how do you start a conversation with somebody who may be accusing you of, of not communicating with them effectively? Um, and how do you start a conversation with somebody not well, not mentally well? So it's so important that organisations actually train their managers with, within this to enable uh, managers to feel comfortable, you know, to have those, those challenging conversations. Yeah, very good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I'm afraid, I mean, you can't compare the 80s, I don't think. <laughs> I think well, I've got a little bit of knowledge, to be fair, to Penny. <laughs> the, the 1980s to now, but, you know, what do you, do you get a sense of what it is that's causing these mental health challenges now? It's, it's, it's almost goes back to that point of what I was saying before, where there's so many different facets which potentially could affect it in the first place. It's very tricky to precisely pin down what's going on with that at the end of it all. But a lot of the time, as I said, it, it could come down to, unfortunately, things like social media at the end of it all. But it could also come down to things like stresses inside of work, ultimately. A lot of demands being onside your plate and eventually it builds and builds and builds. And we don't have the mechanisms to be able to cope and be able to offload with that. And unfortunately, after a while, it just becomes too much for us at the end of the day. And... Sadly, without those outlets, without that work-life balance at the end of the day, it can be really, really challenging once we get to that, that critical point at the end of it all. So recognizing it early is really, really beneficial to try and do that. And then actually doing something about it is the big thing at the end of the day for it. So giving you an answer of precisely where it comes from is I said, if I'm being honest, a, a bit of a challenge at the end of the day to really pinpoint where it is, because there is so many things. We've been through the pandemic recently. There's a threat of what happened with the war going on, too. So there's just so many little facets that, that go on. And then things the family as well at the inside of that, too. So it's um, it's a lot going on at us all at the same time and so much for us to try and take in. And and on top of that as well, it's it's for me as as growing up. 
from uh, doing exams and going through uni and all of the pressures of that at the end of the day as well. I'm not sure whether it was the same for, for you at the end of it all, but it's it's this this desire of, of success at the end of the day and getting things done. And I don't know whether sometimes that disappointment and having that that goal of thinking that we're going to get there and potentially not yeah, getting yeah, yeah. in the way we're what you're saying. going to be. Can, can potentially yeah, be really quite de-inspiring to some people as well and demotivating too. So it's having- I remember, I remember well. um, talking to a, a young man who was, he was 33 and he came to me chatting. He was very depressed in his business, but his business was doing brilliantly. And he realized his be benchmark for his age group was Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and just any, <laughs> anything less than them meant yeah, he wasn't so successful. Role <clears throat> modeling has gone into our subconscious. So Fiona, I think you're a lot younger than me as well, but you know, is uh, is life harder? Do you think on people now than it was when we were all a bit younger, or are we just becoming more aware? And that's a good thing. Well, I think sort of following on from what Fraser said, I think we've got very much, particularly in the business world, a more for less culture, um, and that has definitely um, had an impact. But I was kind of going to change direction here and say that actually, I think good leaders of these gone by did actually have an impact on people and did maybe not um, consciously think about people's well-being but a good leader did care about what was going on in people's lives did do effective performance management did make sure that adequate training was in place for their employees did ensure that people had sufficient autonomy to do the job that they did so I think it's always been there it's just Lack is it's leaders going into positions without sufficient training to be mm -hmm. able to be a good leader. All um, and I think that's what's caused the issue. All this sort of fast tracking, because there's nothing like wisdom from doing things for a little while to help raise the maturity and, and improve the imposter syndrome of a, a leader. And so they're not defensive and they're not also living under a stressful environment. So yeah, I'm all for um, I'm all for people being able to steadily build their careers as well. So this has been a most incredible. I think this is the first time we've actually overrun. And so anybody that stayed with us till now, thank you so much. And um, I just want to just make sure that all of you know how to reach out. Um, not all of you will be watching a screen, but you can watch this on our YouTube channel. You can always contact Thomas and I on, on LinkedIn to connect you with anybody that you've heard to here. Um, also, you can look up Jane Thomas. I don't think I need to spell either of those names. Jane Thomas, Premier Life Skills. You can look up Fraser Thomas and Fraser with an S. I'm sure you know that it wouldn't be with a Z, but I would just <laughs> say that anyway anyone who's dyslexic like myself, and Fiona McIntosh. And uh, Fiona, are you on LinkedIn as well? Yes, I am. So McIntosh, I think you know how to spell that, M-A-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. Um, and I, I, wasn't that fantastic, Thomas? What an amazing show. Superb. I was really impressed with all three of you. You're, you're all in flow, aren't you? You know your stuff. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> powerful. And uh, Fiona... We'll we'll see if we can drive do a drive by when we're up in uh, up in the Highlands. Come and visit to the lambs. <laughs> oh my goodness, that sounds heavenly! And uh, thank you very much. And thank you anyone that's listened to us. And please get in touch. Leave a comment on the LinkedIn post and and tell us what you think. Thank you everyone. Have a great rest of your day.